A comet wipes out most of life on Earth, leaving two valley girls, played by Scream Queen Kelly Maroney and Catherine Mary Stewart, fighting against cannibal zombies and a sinister group of scientists. We watched Night of the Comet. They say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for? Not for shame. I'm my number one fan. We all go a little mad sometimes. God, it knows I'm here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. He has made over 30 short films and one feature, including his most recent film, the award-winning documentary, House of Oddities, the story of the atrocity exhibition. He is the host of the podcast, The Cinema Psycho Show. I'm happy to welcome Brian Coddington. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Billy. Thank you for having me on. I got to say, uh, as a filmmaker, I, I love that intro. Yeah, you like that? I really do. I really do. <laughs> it's the first time I've seen it. I'm, you were telling me before we, the show started that we were going to have an intro. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what kind of intro it is. And man, man you really did do you really it, go all out. I, you know, I do my best. I do my best. And, you know, I, I can't take all the credit there. Uh, Carl Casey from White Bat Audio provides mm-hmm. uh, the music and. He's fantastic. I love that cyberpunk situation he's got going on. Yeah. Uh, you know, got together some some cool uh, visuals. I said, man, this is going to fit. It's going to fit. Oh, it and definitely does. I love it. Well, I'm glad you said so. And I'm glad you like it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I'm well, glad to be here. Uh, you kind of reached out to me. I was like, wow, must be on the show. Awesome. <laughs> and, and we obviously yeah, man. we're in the same sort of mind when it comes to horror and, and film. So, yeah, I'm glad to be here. We are indeed Bryant Night of the Comet. Yeah. Okay. This is this is a film that is uh, celebrating an anniversary uh, this week, and man, it's it's so often overlooked and maybe underrated. I don't know why, but why don't more people know about this film? You know, here's the funny thing. So i i i I've been raised in in horror films. Like that's. It's literally my thing. I always say, like, you know, I, I watched my first horror movie when I was two years old. It was Night, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. And um, I, honestly, this was the first time I had seen this film. So it was even overlooked by me. And and that's that's a rare thing. But I'm glad that I watched it because it was fun. Like, it's a very fun movie that doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think part of the reason why it gets lost somehow in the shuffles because this movie came out in 1984. And the 80s were this perfect time where you had independent film studios that were cranking out movies literally every weekend. you know. And I think that with all the other big movies that were coming around this time, it kind of got lost in that shuffle because of how many other films were coming out. Like the 84, you know, we think of, of Nightmare on Elm Street, the first movie, you know, 
yep. original Freddy Krueger. That's that's kind of what eighty four takes place. But you know, you also had like Chopping Mall earlier, and and that's I think why the that this movie in particular gets gets stuck. Plus, I also think that it's a weird film in that part of it is clearly an homage to like the nineteen fifties like science fiction exploitation films and also a little bit of the the night living dead zombie stuff so it's it's not it's not necessarily one you can really categorize like other horror movies uh of that age yeah and uh let's just go ahead and take a look at the trailer while we're while we're doing it i mean this thing is first of all it's fantastic in that you said it. It doesn't take itself too seriously. There, we, of course, we have the uh, the fantastic screen queen. There she is, Kelly Maroney, of course, Catherine Mary Stewart. But this thing was directed by Tom Eberhardt, okay? And he directed. Well, first of all, do you have a favorite Tom Eberhardt film? <laughs> Off the top of my head, not really, because he's kind of like <laughs> neither. It's probably he's not this a West. One, right? I'm sorry, he's not a Wes Craven. He's not a John Carpenter. He's not a Clive Barker. So, like, yeah, it's it's kind There's of hard to pull that. question, right? There's your solved <laughs> question. He did, however, direct the greatest film ever about children being made gigantic after having been made miniature. Yeah, I do mean, honey, I blew up the kid. Okay. Oh, this makes total sense now. <laughs> all the sense in the world, all the sense in the world. But you know, like that was a film, uh, "Honey, I Blew Up the Kid," that you know I saw as a, a you know pretty young kid. Um, you know, it it might have been you know one of the coolest premises I saw as a kid. It was just so big a film to kids my age. I specifically remember my elementary school showing it to us yeah. and a class full of slightly taller toddlers crying these no Sean Moreno tears when the, the <laughs> ant got killed by a scorpion. If I remember that right, was that right? Well, that's the first one. That's the first one. That's right. honey, the, honey, I shrunk the kid. And then the, the second one was just a pile of garbage. That that second one was, was uh horrifying. If you think about it, like your kid blows up, goes into Las Vegas <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the fact no one died, it's a miracle. It's a miracle in itself. Yeah. It, it it really is. And did you get the reference, uh, no Sean Moreno tears? I, I hope didn't. you did. I didn't. didn't. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Listen, we at Slasher Sports have kind of an intersection okay. where horror meets sports. Okay. Um, you know, we have, you know, we cover college college basketball college football cover baseball and of course we're over here uh talking horror films and not necessarily i think there's a venn diagram where (laughs) where horror fans and sports fanatics intersect it may just be a sliver but they're there i've here's the thing i live in pittsburgh so you know steelers right there i i'll be the first to say i am i am the least steelery steeler person at all like it's in fact but i don't care but, but i'm you're aware a of person i'm aware okay. of it i'm i'm aware that basically on on mondays especially recently a lot of angry people yeah they're very <laughs> walking angry. around especially like in south side and and you know the north side area and yeah it, a lot of angry people for some reason on sundays i don't know why i mean 
You don't know why? Well, no, I'll, I'll tell you. I know. I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody <laughs> while we're recording. You know. But speaking of intersections, yeah. Um, if we're going to play a little bit of uh, six degrees of separation here, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Coddington and Billy Graves um, can do one move, and that is the Pittsburgh Pirates, because the Pittsburgh Pirates used to be the major league affiliate of the Nashville Sounds, and I am in Nashville, Tennessee. No kidding. So here we be. There you, you go. Know? That's what made this happen. <laughs> uh, it wasn't podmatch.com at all. No, it wasn't that no, at all. It wasn't no. at all. It, no. it was Lloyd McClendon and, uh, <laughs> and, and all those guys. But, you know, when uh, let me go back to the no Sean Moreno thing. Yeah. In the Super Bowl some years ago, the Denver Broncos played, uh, I think it was the Carolina Panthers. I could be wrong. Um, but no Sean Moreno was a running back for the Denver Broncos. And during the national anthem, um, tears are flowing from this man's eyes and they are the largest teardrops I've ever seen. That's why I just, you know, went out of the way and just said no Sean Moreno tears. They're not crocodile Do you have tears. like, like a bottle of glycerin, like somewhere in like a <laughs> he, sock. He may he just, have. You know, he's doing the thing and just put a little bit right here, a little bit right there, you know, of well, course, you know, like, I, his video. So like the video people will get it. The audio people will be like, what the hell is Brian doing? I'm moving my hand my, down. Yeah, moving my, my hand to my eye and just be like <laughs> throw glycerin in the eye so it looks like a bunch of big big tears. Because like, these are he really like loves he really loves the song. On your sandwich. Yeah, yeah. But but you know, <laughs> when you slow it down, it looked like slobber coming out oh, of his eyes. They were they were they were that huge. He needs to see a doctor. God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if he was happy about being in the Super Bowl or if the national anthem moved him that much. It might have. But, you never know. But I will never again say crocodile tears. Uh, I will forever say no Sean Moreno tears, and then I'll go through that same spiel with, uh, with everybody else. But <laughs> when I think about Night of the Comet, yeah, yeah, I think about Kelly Maroney and you know Catherine Mary Stewart. But in terms of visuals and audio, yeah. The intro just screams quintessential 80s. Okay? Oh, the, my God. The, the this voiceover? Whole, this whole movie, it, it, it's literally like concentrated 1980s in a, in a, in a, in a vial. That's literally what Smack dab is. in the middle. It's so much 80s. Everything that, that everyone likes to think about with the 80s, like the leg warmers and the synth punk and all that. It's all there, you know? Um but but yeah, you're right. Like it opens up with this trailer, uh, the, the movie trailer voice, basically uh, the Don yes. LaFontaine voice, if you will. Uh, for those I will. Who know, you know, um, and it just basically says, <laughs> like, this comet's coming and it's wiped out the dinosaurs, but leave it to humanity to be stupid and celebrate the comet. OK, and there, there was somebody holding a sign that said the comet is safe. Yeah. Yeah. If that's not a 2022 thing, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, you know what a funny thing is? Is like, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that if that comet really was coming, like in 2022, you'd have the exact same reaction. Oh, you're right. Exact you are 1,000% correct. You'd have parties. You would have, you know, some people say, I don't trust the comet. And then some people say, I trust the comet. And, you know, you you have everything in, in under the sun. Just like it is like it, it, I remember when Independence Day came out, you know, and at the time I'm like, why would people like go on top of a building if they knew like a giant alien ship had just arrived and have parties? 
the thing is, we as human beings tend to do those sorts of things. Yes, we do. You know, you talk about sports. We test fate you know, more than anything. How many times do we light, Do you see uh, lit couches on fire when a local sports team wins? I don't know what the <laughs> symbolism is. I, I've i seen it, and I, I don't get it, but it's the same thing. Like, why not? Why would people not celebrate with a comet coming towards them? And it's like, yeah, you know what? The whole sky is going to go red and shit. Okay, I swear on this podcast, is, is it is it cool? It's it's not only cool, it is... Uh, I gotta it, ask, it's because like my, my yeah. podcast is is a explicit podcast, but I know not everyone is. So yeah, people will be That's like, true. oh, the yeah. sky is turning fucking orange and shit. And and yeah, that that would that would be a thing where I would run and hide, but I wouldn't necessarily be like, let's have a comet party. But they're doing a comet party, and you've got a movie theater in which they're screening comet movies which i'm like what what comet movie would you play <laughs> uh that it came from outer space i, I don't I know so. um may, or, or yeah this, some kind of alien maybe they think aliens are going to travel on the comet i don't know or maybe they, it's they, meta maybe it's they're playing night of the comet <sighs> in the comet theater that's heavy that is so heavy go. We got to go back. If and, Wes and, and Craven was that. writing this movie, that's what would happen. Yeah, at least if he did it in the nineties. In the nineties, yes, yeah. In the nineties, yeah. But you know that that comet's probably gonna be flammable. Um, just think, all that Aquanet is gonna <laughs> it's gonna make the so Earth much Aquanet, so much nylon, polyester Ugh. still is a thing. Yeah, a lot of people are gonna be lit on fire or just turned to brick dust because that's. That's what happened. Because that's what happened. As mentioned, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart and Kelly Maroney are heroines. They're playing sisters. Uh, let's start with the Ka- uh, Catherine Mary Stewart. Yeah. Uh, though we remember her for Night of the Comet, a very small percentage of her acting roles have come in the horror genre. Uh, yeah. a, a lot of times, uh, folks might put her in the conversation with the likes of uh, Barbara Crampton and Ke- Kelly Maroney, her co-star. Um, but not so I much. Know I, I don't know if I put her in the same level as Barbara. Now, Graham. Weekend at Bernie's was her most notable role, probably. She also was right? in Last Starfighter. Ve- yeah, same in year. Last Starfighter. Same year. Yeah. But yeah, Weekend at Bernie's then, is, is what I think people know her for most. That's where I knew her to begin with. Really? Um, I had totally forgotten that she was uh, the number two in this one. Actually, she's the number one, I guess, if you um, you know look at the billing. But... Um, she also just recently uh, starred in a short film, a Friday the 13th short film called Victim No More. Huh. Um, it's not not one I've seen, uh, yeah. but I think it revolved around some of Tommy Jarvis's family. Okay. Um, pre- pretty sure uh, Stewart's role is either a sister or aunt of Tommy. I could be wrong. Thought okay. that was kind of cool. Makes Very me cool. want to go find it. You know, makes me want to yeah. go find it. And then Kelly Maroney. Uh, you know, we're going to remember her from Chopping Mall, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yeah. The Zero Boys, Transylvania Twist. She gets a lot of love from the horror community, um, as deserved. Um, she has more, you know, horror credits than her co-star, uh, but a lot of dramatic roles, like in the 200 and something odd dramatic roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, con- you consider Kelly Maroney a bona fide score- screen queen? Yeah. Yes. For, for the, no doubt. Like, I, I would say that, that, you kind of have different different uh, sections of the 80s specifically where you see these screen creams kind of pop up. Like, I think Kelly Maroney really is 
that early 80s, you know, like 1982 and, and, and maybe up to about the the late to mid, mid, basically mid, mid 80s. Um, but then you have like Linnea Quigley and Barbara Crampton, you know, they kind of picked up mid 80s and up. You know, that's where you get like movies sure. like Return of the Living Dead and Night of the Demons, which is one of my absolute favorites. I could go. I could. You bring ever do Night of the Demons? I'll come back on because that's literally one of my favorites. But but I think like you see these little ages that pop up in the eighties where certain scream queens kind of take you know prominence. But yeah, I do consider her a scream queen, especially for Chopping Mall. You know, that's that's oh, hilarious. The, yeah, Chopping Mall is probably a, a top fifteen film for me in, in yeah. the horror genre, uh, just because I mean mall horror. You know. Um, but Brian, you know, as children, mm-hmm. or at least this was like my experience in the eighties. I'm I'm forty, born in eighty two. I'm thirty seven, um, so, so I was born in eighty five. Okay, so uh, you would probably remember what you were watching on TV in the late eighties as yes. a child. Yes, um, I was, you know, basically bound to whatever my babysitter was watching at the time. I'm talking about a time. Before preschool was a common thing. Now I did have HBO, and that was that was a mistake on my my parents' part. Yes, it but was. Yes. Shame on them. Shame on them. But I wouldn't um, be where I am without it. So, like, that's the thing is is I got to say that is if it wasn't for HBO, I I mean that's where I saw Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two was playing on HBO, and I distinctively remember it's one of my very first memories. Um, that kind of like took hold for me is you know Freddy Krueger's glove like coming out from the bed sheets in mm. in part two and the bird especially exploding, which makes no sense in, in the mythos of the series. But but no, <laughs> I, I blame HBO. It's HBO's fault. It is, but you know it's good that you remember your first horror film because yeah. I, I remember mine as well. And I, I usually ask what was someone's first horror film yeah. that they remember watching. And uh, for me, it was also a part two, but it was Friday the 13th part two. Um, okay. VCR. I, I had to sneak one. and watch that one. But yeah, very good one. But in 85 to 87, um, I took in a lot of TV yeah. that wasn't really meant for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, talking daytime soap operas. Oh, Murder, she wrote. Hollywood Squares, Gunsmoke, Soul Train. Those were all at the top. Okay. But Kelly Maroney. Mm-hmm. For just a cup of coffee, played in a daytime soap opera that I can only remember one storyline from. Really, and it was called yeah, it was called One Life to Live. And oh, is I don't that even, one still going on at all? It probably is. I don't think I know, they my, ever died. My, my mother was into All My Children. That was her same channel. That was her favorite one. Well, they all went back back to back, like literally sure. from eleven thirty in the morning till about I don't know, maybe like one. Like you had a block of nothing but these ridiculously awful soaps, and they are ridiculously awful. <laughs> they were ridiculously awful, but you know that that storyline. I yeah. don't know if Maroney was involved in it because, yeah. like, it, it was her character, and by that I mean like many actresses played this character. Uh, thinking back on it, it might be the most batshit crazy I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> the gist that there's a love triangle going on. Girl is disillusioned with her original love, so she runs off to Argentina, pregnant with his baby. Of course, but in the arms of, but in the arms of another man. Oh. Okay, where, where she's allegedly killed by going down a waterfall, a fucking waterfall, 
but later found to be alive in the care of an indigenous tribe. You go down a waterfall, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. Yeah, uh, that indigenous tribe might find you, but they will find you in pieces. Yes, they will. But she had amnesia. (laughs) Of course she had amnesia. (laughs) That's where I learned what amnesia was, I'm pretty sure. Oh my god! But she like winds a, up at the like altar a bad with Futurama the second guy, episode. <laughs> or a great one, <laughs> or a great one, <laughs> or a great one. But yeah, she yeah, ends up at the altar with the second guy. But like as she's saying the vows, she says uh, the first guy's name yeah. instead of you know, and then everybody just fucking comes unglued. Ryan, if you miss <laughs> daytime TV in the '80s, you missed out on some wild program. I don't know. Like for for me, like my memories of the the '80s when it comes to programming. You know, obviously, I was much younger than you, not by much, but not by like, much. No, like cartoons, I remember more of. And but the, the shows that I remember that were horror related, I I watched. I remember watching Tales from the Dark Side, and the show Monsters. Remember Monsters? Yes. Monsters. Oh was great. my god! So so much good stuff. All before Tales from the Crypt, which you know I watched Tales from the Crypt because, as I mentioned, HBO kind of formed me. Um, of course and, and of course. Um, which funny enough i actually got to meet uh someone who worked on tales from the crypt the the vp of uh production for nearly the entire series when i was up at the erie horror fest uh in, in october her name is uh, jackie george she was amazing to talk to and and basically like spilled a lot of the beans and how they they got they crafted this series that honestly is like made a mark on people like me um, yeah. for generations. So, Yeah, we've always been into the strange and unusual, mm-hmm. and it, it probably got kicked off during those uh, sneaky HBO or VHS sessions. Yep. And, yeah, we're fine, I think, right now. I'm fine. I have children. You, I'm good. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> listen, I, a I, lot of people I'm, have I'm, children, Brian. I, I'm, I'm married, and we we got I got kids. We're good. Put her on. <laughs> we're we're going to figure this out. <laughs> She's we're downstairs with one of the kids. That's the thing right now. Okay. Good. Yeah. Downstairs is in the basement, right? No, no, no. I'm, I'm in a hundred year old house, so I mean, you know, you never know. That is true. There might be somebody down there. It's all right. We're going to go with it. But, you know, more often than not, when it comes to movies about the apocalypse, uh, there's a build to the apocalypse event. Usually uh, the day gets saved by some badass and his hot teammate. But not in this one, Brian. Night of the Comet. Yeah, Night of the Comet is basically immediately after the comet enters the Earth's atmosphere. can you think of any examples where we got that scenario? In any movies? I mean, the only one I could think of off the top of my head is is the first scene in Armageddon where, like, New York gets hit by a, by, uh, a meteor and you see, like, the taxi cab get blown up and all sorts of Michael Bay shit happens. Um, so, like, that's that's the only one I could think of. What, what, what gets me most about this opener is, is one, you've got Regina, who's... Like the character is hilarious because she's playing, uh, you know, an arcade game, and her boss is literally trying to sell someone who's just trying to get popcorn. A, a yeah, yeah, trying to sell a headband with some, you know, five cent dingly bob things on it, and and going on and on about how amazing this thing is. Oh, this is the greatest greatest headband you've ever seen. I'm just like for nine fifty for nine nine fifty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that's that's Dollar Tree prices right there. That's that's a dollar, not dollar twenty five. Dollar, no, um, flat out dollar, <laughs> dollar, flat out dollar. But he's going on and on. Do you know who that guy actually is? You remember where you've seen him the, before? The uh, the salesman, the man, the manager. Yeah, the, the manager. I, I know the actor. He's I just, well. Uh, he he was also in uh, UHF as mm-hmm. Weird Al's uncle. Um, he's he's kind of been he's kind of a character actor in a lot of the eighties yeah, films. I was gonna say that he he's one of those guys that you've seen him in a million yes. things. Yeah, and maybe you can't like just grab it out of the air. Yeah, but yeah, he he's everywhere. It's just like uh, who, who was I talking about the other day? Uh, uh, the the guy who owned the to- toy store in uh, Home Alone Two. Oh so yeah, things. Yep, same old, deal. Old Duncan, the old same Duncan. deal. I don't know. I don't know his fucking name. I know him as Duncan. Yeah, that's and that's, that's only because of the store character actor. Character actor, indeed. That's the that's the 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 nice name for it. It's not just hey you. (laughs) (laughs) What Um, are you doing in thirty minutes? But but I gotta say, like the whole opening of that before the comment actually happens is kind of insane because Regina is being told, okay, go upstairs and talk to your boyfriend who's trying to sell a bootleg film for (laughs) what a hundred and ten dollars. Instead of a hundred dollars, because the hundred, the extra ten, ten dollars that that really sells it. Um, <laughs> and then on top of that, they're having this conversation about, well, I'll pay you fifteen dollars to have sex with me. And Regina goes with it. I'm just like, she's with it. Fifteen dollars. <laughs> Listen, fifteen dollars is was three hours of work for me at the grocery store in my first job. Okay, and I'd have seventy five cents left over because I made five seventy five. Okay, five twenty-five. So, like, yeah, fifteen bucks. Let's let's get. I mean, here's the thing. This is still Reagan's America. So, I mean, I understand that the dollar goes a little bit further in 1984. (laughs) But like, come on, you got to have more. I'm not saying you got to you can't make a a a dollar or something like that. But but come on, fifteen bucks. And the, the guy only sell, thing she's the, worried about. Well, here's the, the thing, thing: she's worried about is getting the high score on the arcade. Well, here's the thing: Regina could absolutely get more than fifteen dollars. Clearly, the guy she's talking to thinks that a hundred and ten dollars is a good deal, so she could have held out for a lot more, at least ten dollars more. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Night of the Comet is certainly not the only horror movie of the '80s to kind of ridicule. Uh, consumer culture, or I really mean, society in general, yeah. right? No, I mean you're we're right. thinking about Dawn of the Dead, Chopping Mall, They Live. Uh, later on, in the early '90s, uh, people under the stairs. Yes, um, you know, horror has you know, always been uh, a medium for cultural critique. You go all yeah. the way back, even even to literature. I mean, you look at uh, you know Bram Stoker's Dracula, and there's criticism of Victorian like puritanical ideas about sex and even criticism of foreigners. Um, There's even been people who said that there's anti-Semitic, you know, uh, traits in, in that book. So, I mean, it all goes, there's, there's always been a, 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 a critical element to society in horror films, especially. No doubt. There's commentary everywhere. And that's why it makes me laugh audibly when in 2022, uh, in the year of Odin 2022, you you have people complaining that 
listen, I want to keep all the social commentary out of my horror. It's like, dude, you've been watching films and every one of them. Yeah. It's been hidden and like, maybe not even hidden. Maybe just went over your head. I don't know. You can turn a blind eye to it and take it at face value, but there are reasons that certain elements are in films, whether you miss it or you didn't. But what stands out to me in night of the comet is the comedy aspect. Oh my God. Um, It's great. Fantastic. (laughs) And one of my one of my all time favorite lines and and really follow-up scene uh, when Kelly Maroney tells Doris, you were born with an asshole. You don't need Chuck. <laughs> that whole back Perfectly. and forth between Doris and, and Kelly and, is hilarious. And if the line wasn't enough, Brian, if the line wasn't enough, Doris slaps the shit out of Samantha. Samantha slaps her back. And then I don't know why Left it's hook. so unexpected. <laughs> she grabs her by the shirt and punches her in the face, knocking her down. And the delivery of this punch and the response from, <laughs> from Kelly Maroney is just completely hysterical well first of all like the whole scenario is ridiculous one you could tell that this actress did not want to hit her and was like really trying to like i don't want to actually hit her so like she clearly is like revving up but then when they cut to the actual shot of hitting her it's like this (laughs) slow-mo punch that's supposed to then send her flying back towards the tv and then the the best part I, I love about this and again this is just showing you the 80s is that everyone around it's it's not like they're in a dark corner somewhere doing this it's literally in the foyer where all these people are coming back and forth for this comet party and no one bats an eye at the fact that this stepmother this grown-ass woman Normal just decked her stepdaughter in the face drawing blood and they're just eh, no big deal that may as well have happened today i mean i'm sorry like if i saw if i saw someone deck any child my <laughs> next thing would be nine one one nine one one and if i if i don't hear william shatner answer the phone then yeah yeah i'm taking matters into my own hands <laughs> but, but you but know yeah, you talk like about the realism of that thing. punch yeah. You talk about the realism of that punch, right? Well, Everhart basically wanted this to be as real to life as possible. Um, so you couldn't, you couldn't <laughs> fool me with that punch, but he basically used like a group of teenagers to tell him like what they would do in a similar situation. And that's the wrong that, thing to do. <laughs> that is the absolute wrong thing to do. I'm going to base this film off of everything that you guys tell me, but that really does show that when there's a, you know, in that montage of scenes in the mall. Yeah. Um, you know, like what to you, what to you, Brian makes this film different than all the other mall horrors like Dawn of the Dead. Well, mall, I, 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 think the, I think the biggest thing that this, this movie has going for it. And I mentioned this at the, the top of the show was, it doesn't take itself seriously at all, you know? And that's, that's, I think something that one is hard to do. Like, I, I think trying to combine comedy and horror is absolutely one of the hardest things to do. One, because everyone has something different that they view as funny. What you yeah. and I might think are funny are going to be completely different to somebody else. Or like what I think is funny might be different to you. You might say, that's not really funny. So trying to, make a horror movie, you kind of have two different thoughts. You're like, 
I could either buy into the world and make it as serious as possible. And like, I view that as like 20, 28 weeks later, 28 days later. That's, that's basically this, but serious, you know, or you just say this whole concept's ridiculous. So why don't we lean into the ridiculous side? And that's why, like, that's where I think this movie shines is because you have actors who are in this who totally buy into that and they support it. That's what makes this movie really unique. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because, listen, the budget to Night of the Comet was right around 700K. Yeah, that's nothing. That's That's nothing. That's pennies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, you could find other examples of like lower budgets, but those are outliers. Yeah, and if they blew up for some reason, like recently, uh, Terrifier Two was like made on two hundred and fifty k, and then yeah. you know grossed around ten million. Um, fantastic, but it's an outlier. It's not to be expected. No, but with a low budget like that comes some restriction. For one, you have a non-script almost where everyone's kind of shooting from the hip. Yep. Right. But but that also means to me, you need the kind of cast who can improv. Mm-hmm. What say you? I I agree with that. I mean, what from what from from researching this movie, it, what it sounds like they did was, you know, to get get these very like vast landscapes of nobody around. They filmed around Christmas time. They filmed like the day. They filmed on Christmas Day when they knew no one was going to be around. So, like, what you're seeing is what happens when everything closes up. Um, but I, I, speaking to that, I, I'm of the mind that having limitations is a good thing. You know? Imagine if someone just said, hey, you can make any movie you want. You have an unlimited amount of money. And at that point, you're going to be like, well, why do I have to, like, problem solve? I can just throw money at it. But this movie had to problem solve because they literally had the limitation of budget. So <clears throat> does that mean you can't shoot everything? Yeah. But it also means that when you do shoot, you have to make those scenes count. And that's what Night of the Comet does really well. Every scene that's in there, even ridiculously goofy ones like that mall uh, montage, I find that the most ridiculous out of them all. Because I'm like, there's no fucking way that I'd be like, let's go into the mall and play around with all the stuff. No, no, that doesn't work. Um, but but the rest of it, though, you, you make every scene count because you have to. Because you don't have the opportunity to go back and do reshoots. Yeah, and like when the people are turned into that calcium dust yeah. by the, uh, the comet, you know, the filmmakers opted against expensive effects Mm -hmm. and instead used like common brick dust to depict this uh i guess red (laughs) red calcium bone basically like their whole all their bodies turn into this red red dust yeah just poof Poof. uh and and the street scenes were all actually filmed in downtown la uh instead of a soundstage um they got you know some isolation you know, from early, 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 early morning shoots. Yep. Uh, so couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. <laughs> You're and not gonna they get had... up at the crack of dawn, go and film stuff. No, I'm getting up at the crack of noon, Daddy. The crack <laughs> of noon. <laughs> so, in between red lights, you're shooting. Like that is some resourcefulness. Like, yeah. okay, it stopped. Red lights. Let's shoot. Um, I'm sure you've had your share of uh, guerrilla filming to do. Yeah. Uh, shoot first, ask permission later. 
Um, you have to. Yeah, and you know we're going to actually have a conversation um, soon about uh, about some 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 of your filmmaking. Yeah. But I'll I'll save uh, save that question for that day. But Mary Warrenoff, who played Audrey, uh, dismissed the film as basically just a product for, a product of its time, uh, quote unquote, uh, that wouldn't have any lasting quality. Oh. Um, but it's become a cult classic, right? I'm I'm not off on saying that. Uh, no, it, I think it for is for a lot it's of people. It's classic. it's a classic. <clears throat> and and I'm glad that you were able to 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 find it. Uh, yep. You know, th- there are people that, you know, that have never seen the Warriors, uh, people that have never seen Billy Jack. You know, th- these are these are films that that flopped miserably in theaters, but became like more that they have lo- more longevity than a lot of films that, you know, made it to theaters and just kind of did OK. Uh, but, yeah, th- this is one of those films that survived the, the the comet blast i guess and i'm so glad that it did well i think it's it's more or less it's it survived um multiple things that kind of got in the way i mean you had the the reason that movie and a lot of other films of that age really rose to popularity is because of the video store you know it was easy to get a hold of these movies and the studios were like well i got to make my money somehow off these things so why not sell them to video stores and there were so many video stores at the time so like that's how these things got popular and what we're seeing now is that what movies that that were considered like lost they're not lost because they weren't available they're they're lost because they never made the jump to dvd and then subsequently never made the jump to blu-ray never made the jump to streaming so like that's the thing is when you find these gems that you're like no one's ever heard of this thing before it it it's not that that there no one's ever heard of it's just that the industry itself has dictated which ones are worthy of digitizing, which is yeah, kind of scary when you think about it. It is because who gets to dictate truth yeah. or goodness, right? Who, like, who is the power that, that is who says like, well, no, this was not a good film. Had this right. one not been available today to, uh, you, it's just not as fun. Yeah. And this is a very fun film. I'm glad you used the word fun because it's simple. It's, it's a very effective, fun movie. And it, and it is it the most dense movie? movie. Is it going li- to change your life? I don't know about that. Um, no, but, but I would say if you're looking for a fun movie where it's not boring and you're not going to stare at your phone, because let's be honest here. How many times have you watched a horror movie more recently? Okay. And I have a problem with modern horror for a couple of reasons, but I, I can't, I'm not going to lie. There have been times I've looked at a modern horror movie and like five minutes in, I'm like, well, let's go see what's on Facebook or Twitter. And this is one of those movies that just by the characters alone and just by some of the dialogue and the situations they're in, you're going to keep watching it. You're not going to be looking at your phone. It's a good, it's a good one to go watch, especially with friends. We know technologically it doesn't hold up and that's fine. Oh, hell no. <laughs> right. But, but does the new generation of viewer get through Night of the Comet? I think, I think here's the thing. I think if you are, if the new generation of viewer has grown up on what I call, uh, you know, member berries for the 1980s, not going to, I, I, I make no bones about it. I totally stole that from South Park. Um, but you know, we have this now thing where there's a nostalgia boner for the eighties because of stranger things and 
bunch of other things that have come out that have really glamorized that era. I think that those people that maybe like things like Stranger Things and looking for something else, I think they'll gravitate towards Nightly Call because it's basically that, but it's from the 80s. And like what you're seeing is the 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 reality of then, you know? Did you ever play the uh, Friday the 13th video game? Oh man, I played so many video games back in the day. So I, I no, I'm did. sorry. The, the recent one. Oh, the, recent, the one? No. recent one. No, I don't. I have not. So there's a song on the soundtrack called "Summer of Heat." Okay. Okay. It's a, it's a very modern song. I think it dropped in maybe like 2010. Could be wrong about that that year. Okay. But it is very 80s vibe. Yeah. Okay. And like you said, with the uh, you know the Stranger Things bring the 80s back i also think that that was one thing that you know some of the younger players of that video game probably may have other than jason himself right because i mean that's very much an 80s uh i guess defined uh series of film yeah but yeah the 80s was the best time guys and if you didn't get to experience it well damn the bad luck but <laughs> that was night of the comet starring katherine mary stewart and kelly maroney directed by tom eberhardt happy anniversary to the cast and crew before we hit the gag reel tell everybody where they can find your work and you on your socials please well uh you can find me primarily on my podcast the cinema psycho show um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Psycho Show. We're also now on TikTok. I'm trying this TikTok thing because I've been told that that's where people go now. Um, they but, do. <laughs> uh, Cinema Psycho Show. That's our TikTok handle, all one word. I'm trying to use that. Um, but yeah, we're primarily on there. We're 248 episodes in. Uh, I'm sure when we when we talk again. We'll be going a little bit into that, how that show kind of came about. But that's probably what I work on. Um, I don't really have anything new film-wise currently. Most of what I've been doing has just been the podcast and then also working for a, a podcast company. But we'll get into that on the next episode, I guess. Check out the episode bio for links to Brian's work. And yep. thank you, Brian, for coming on to review this classic film with me. I'm so glad oh, it was fun. Uh, you could be introduced to it. Yeah, it absolutely was. I'm so glad you've uh, been exposed to it. Uh, I say exposed. That, that's a better word. Exposed, like red brick yeah, dust. That, you, yeah, absolutely. It turns you into a zombie. <laughs> it turns you into just... A ridiculous zombie at yes. that, but it's certainly a pleasure. Uh, so make sure you're checking out uh, our other shows from the Slasher Sports Crew via the link tree in the episode bio. But until then, I hope you all may drink the blood of your enemies from the skulls of their children.